Good evening, lovely people. It is Sunday, December 18th. The Lopes had to dig deep to overcome a 12-point second-half deficit and force overtime to beat Pepperdine in their only contest this week. They hope to head into Christmas with some momentum as they host the lowly Bengals of Idaho State on Tuesday. We have a lot of thoughts coming off the recent week. We're looking forward to this, and we hope you are too. And a new episode of Win the Whack 2.0 starts now. Big bucket by McMillan for three. Dishes on the blocker for three. Joining me, as always, is a man who spends more time tweeting and streaming college basketball than he does grading finals. A man who loves Sam Houston State as much as he hates Seattle U. That's Zach Cecil. How you doing, Zach? I'm 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 doing great. I'm doing really great. How about you? I'm I'm doing just fine, and I assume you're doing great because I think, at least in your opinion, Seattle got exposed a little bit this week. They did. They did. Um, although that was that was that was dampened a little bit by the game against Alcorn. And actually, hold on. I, I just need to say this because I have already gotten a, like a lot of criticism on Twitter for this. I actually don't really dislike. I don't dislike Seattle U. Okay, I know, I know. I just thought it I was just funny, think they're so really overrated. It. They're just that like the. I have no problems with Seattle U. I think they're a fine team. They're not the second best team in the WAC, and I think we know that now. I think we know that. Now. Yes, and, I, and net and rankings honestly, are showing yeah. that. Ken Palm rankings are showing that. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with. I'm okay with it. I, I guess I should have said, you love Sam Houston State as much as you hate how much Seattle U is overrated. Yeah, because sure. you, you, none of us hate Seattle U. Nobody has no. any reason to hate Seattle U. Aside yeah, from, do you remember? Great. Do you remember? I think it was back when when we were actually doing the podcast uh, in the first stint. When we played Seattle U, I believe it was in Seattle as well. One of their guys um, flipped off. No, it was it was at it was at home. It was our game at home, and one of their players flipped off the Havocs. And uh-huh. I think I got a screenshot of that. And uh, oh, dude, that's awesome. put it on Twitter. I remember that, but that's not a reason to hate a team. So, but yeah, we uh, yeah. like I said in the intro, we had quite the night last night. The uh, the Grand Canyon Antelopes. Sure did. Yeah. Initial initial thoughts from you. Um, this is once again reaffirmed to me that it is impossible in the year in the 2022-2023 NCAA men's basketball season. It's impossible to watch a Grand Canyon University Antelopes basketball game that is not horribly stressful, even when we win, is is what this taught me. Yeah. yeah. My initial thought is um I feel like every time we watch a game, I'm texting you, we suck. We're going to yeah. lose uh-huh. literally every time. Yeah. Initial thought that might be the one that I might be saying that every single week. Okay. But yeah. before we get into the game a little deeper, it's time for my favorite segment segment. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Questionable scenarios with Connor. Perfect. All right, Zach, pick one. The, the trend continues on, by the way. The Lopes win the next five conference championships. They go undefeated at home in that same stretch. The Lopes are guaranteed at least one Elite Eight appearance and three Sweet Sixteens in that same stretch. But 
you have to this is <laughs> i am like squirming just thinking come of this. on oh you come have on. to eat an eight ounce human no. steak nope or the lopes no. Lose out no. of the WAC tournament first yes. first round every year for the next five yeah. years and lose every game tough. they play against CBU. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. It's tough too because I know we're going to be playing five seeded Seattle U. Um. So yeah, it's tough. What if nah. I said that um you either eat the steak or the Lopes drop down to Division Two? Oh man! All right. So what's the all right? What's the deal with the steak, buddy? I'm not it's, covering Division Two basketball, dog. I'm gonna just keep it real with you. I'm with you as well. I'm not going to. <laughs> if that were to ever happen, no I don't way. think anybody would, would be. It proud would not. Of that, so it would not happen. Zach, I, I'm, right. let me just let me start with this. I'm Human I'm incredibly state, huh? I'm incredibly proud of you for just going straight up saying no. Okay, I have asked this question to many people. Um, no. insert, you know, their favorite team, whether it's the Lopes or, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, that would be Austin. Um, <laughs> Austin. Yeah. My, my friend, AJ, the Pittsburgh Steelers or, or, or the MSU Bobcats. Um, my brother, um, the Minnesota Vikings, right? <clears throat> Man. You are the first person that I have asked that question who just before the even question was finished being asked, no. just said yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, what are we doing here? Come on. I mean, like, <laughs> like, no. Zach, no. The, the responses have been, you know, a little bit expected, but also only one has appalled me. Okay. Oh, no. So All when right. I asked Austin this question, and uh, <laughs> Austin, if you don't want me to be telling this story for everyone to hear, um, too bad. Sorry, bud. Man. It's tough. When I asked Austin this question, I, I kind of instead of like the the elite eights and the in the three sweet sixteens or whatever, since it was the Cowboys, I said the Cowboys win the next five Super Bowls. No way. Yeah, that's, he, that's, yeah. I feel like he would take that. That that's actually that's a lot of joy. Way way better than an elite eight and three sweet sixteens. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the also the other one was if you don't do it, then they lose to the Eagles every single game they play for the next. Three years. No, actually, I think I switched it. I think it was every well, conference do that opponent. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> every 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 divisional <laughs> opponent. Um, I said the same thing to my brother with the with the Vikings. But anyways, so with Austin with the with the with the Cowboys, he was pretty disgusted by the question as well, right? As as he should be, right? Yeah. Um, but he was like, "Do I like? Is there a chance that I would be eating somebody I know?" Dude, I was like, Austin. I, I guess he was like, so I can't like choose the person that I'm. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. Um, I was like, so you're going to start window shopping for, for who you're going to eat just yeah. so you can get the Cowboys five Super Bowls. Austin, this I was is like, so, so, so that one tough, man. Yeah, no, that one wasn't so bad. My brother, no questions asked. He just goes, yeah, you can't argue yeah. with five Super Bowls, man. You know what? Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I I personally would not do it either, Zach. So I'm I'm glad that you and I are of one one mind yeah. here. Can you imagine how like insufferable we'd be if GCU like won a national championship? Like imagine they just like they just like won out this year and like we're a 12 seed and then just like won it all. How how ridiculous! Like I would, you nobody would ever. I would just be the most insufferable person on the internet 
for the next like decade. Let, let me just say this, Zach. There is, I, I'm having a hard time perceiving that just with what we've seen so far from the Lopes. Yeah, I'm. I I mean, like, I'm not going to rule out the possibility of GCU being the next Gonzaga, you know, because that's that's like the hope, that's the goal, right? Um, not that yeah. Gonzaga's won their 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 title yet, but I mean, like, Which with the crazy. team we have right now, there is absolutely no way that I no, can even perceive the Lopes no. winning the national championship. No. So I can't say that I would be insufferable because I just, there, there there's no reality. It's like, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's there's like, no yeah. rational expectation right. for that right now. Um, yeah, but here, here's the thing. If it were to get to the point where, you know, GCU is the, the new Gonzaga and we're, we're that mid-major team who built our way into a, a perennial powerhouse in the nation I would certainly be insufferable. Are you kidding? All yeah. of the years that we spent yeah. watching GCU lose to New Mexico State, I I wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah, it would it would I think it would frustrate me. I think it would like I feel like this happens a lot. When you're a fan of a team that's like not, not even bad, because GCU was like they were never like bad, but like when your team becomes good and then you get bandwagon fans, it's just like super annoying and you kind of want to like gatekeep, you know, like, like I was watching no Suns yeah. games in 2015 when they were winning 19 games a year, you know? <laughs> and so for now, like for now, like 16 year olds on the internet to be like, dude, like Devin Booker is like the best shooting guard in the league. I just like, I just like, shut up. Like, <laughs> like, like, you know, you shut be, up. If, you only watch the yeah. NBA on Instagram. If the reels. Lakers were the four seed right now, you know, you'd be cheering for them. Like, leave me alone, man. <laughs> uh, and I feel like I'd be like that for GCU. If we suddenly became awesome, just all yeah. the like, all the like bozos who are like, oh, I don't think the Lopes are going to take it this year. It's like, okay, dude, whatever. Man. <laughs> this is their year. This is their, uh, yeah, this is their year. <laughs> but you know, we're, we're not eating. We're not eating people to ensure. This. No, not eating not, people. Yeah. No. Okay. Right. Not cannibals here. That. Nope. That is, that is by far and large the most disgusting and disturbing questionable scenario we will have in this segment. Yeah. I just, I think it, I think it brings up good discussion and, and I've had some funny stories because of it. So I had to ask it if it offended, if it offended anybody, I apologize. No. We won't go this no, direction no, ever again. Yeah, we will. We don't care about you. Wowzer. <laughs> <laughs> So Grand Canyon, the Antelopes, they played last night, Saturday, against the Pepperdine Waves from the West Coast Conference. GCU was a five-point favorite, am I correct? Um, I think so. I predicted that GCU would win by five. And you predicted that GCU would win by... Well, okay. So I will say that (laughs) I was in just about every capacity we'll start here we'll, we'll start by addressing my prediction last week because i was wrong in just about every area possible except for i suppose the final score which is i did say uh gc is going to run it out and they're going to cover or if it's close we're not going to win and uh it was of course very close it went to overtime and then we did end up winning by by 10 i think in overtime but yep um so yeah we did cover which is great but you know it was an overtime game certainly a tight one um, we had to play an overtime without Blackshear. Um, he's he went he left the game again with that looks like same ankle, um, which we'll get into later. But but yeah, um, I, so this is the same. Like I feel the same way I felt the last five games, which is like 
I'm really impressed with the Lopes heart and effort and fight. And I'm really unimpressed with their like ability to be good at basketball. You know? <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's kind of where I, I've been for the past couple weeks. Well, if we look back on the game, um, well, I guess what we discussed on the last pod, you and I had, had looked at Ken Palm. I had watched a little film and we decided that GCU should have the upper hand in that game because Pepperdine is the kind of team who likes to run and gun it and get a shot off really quick. They actually were top 20 in the nation. I believe if we're, if I remember correctly, um, they were top 20 in the nation when it came to getting shots off um, early in the possession, like somewhere around in there. And uh, GCU was literally the last place team in the country when it came to defensive length of possession, which means GCU on average has the longest possessions defensively out of anyone in the nation. And we decided that this was going to bode well for GCU because we know that we're a solid team defensively. And uh, the prediction was that we were going to see Pepperdine putting up a lot of shots early in the possession that were not good looks for them. And early in the game that played out exactly how you had expected the the first, the first 10 minutes of the game went exactly how we said it was going to go, which is like that the pace is going to be fast. GC is going to get out in transition. We're going to run a gun. They're going to take a lot of bad shots. And it, it was exactly that GCU got up early. We got open shots. They weren't playing very tight defense. They were taking a lot of bad, frustrated shots. Right. And then about 10 minutes into the game, they made some serious adjustments to just about everything about their pace of play. They made defensive adjustments. They made pace of play adjustments. They made, um, like offensive adjustments and all around, like they made adjustments. I, I felt like we did not make adjustments in response, which led to uh, a nearly catastrophic run by them in the middle of the game where they scored 23 unanswered. You know, and I wrote down this little note prior to preparing for this, this, this was very reminiscent of the Alcorn state game. Yeah. Alcorn state, I would say was a little bit more catastrophic considering Man, we should have beat the brakes off of them. We had a 30 point lead on them. We let them get a tie against us late in the second half. And then finally we pulled away and won that game. This one was a little different because Pepperdine is a little bit more competent and our lead wasn't 30, but we, we had, we were in the driver's seat, man. Yep. Um, I don't remember. I think our lar- I think we were up by 12, I think um, yeah, in the first fun. half. And, you know, by, by halftime we were down and then in the second half we were, we were down 12 and finally we started to, you know, get some momentum and it, and it was a very similar, uh, I guess uh, the way the game played out was very similar to the Alcorn state game where there was a solid chunk of the game right in the middle where the Lopes looked awful, just awful. Yep. Hard to watch basketball, I'll tell you that much. I um I, I think I was looking at the uh you know the little graph that ESPN app has on, on there for the games. GCU didn't score yeah. between six minutes and five seconds left in the first half and seventeen thirty something left in yeah in, yeah. in in the second half. Yeah, it's horrifying. Like a they, solid almost yeah. nine minutes of not scoring a point. 
so GCU looked looked really good for a lot of the first half, and I kind of felt like that was squandered by the last six minutes. I think they ended the half on an 11-0 run, and they ended up like just barely taking the lead, and it felt like, dude, this is really bad. They then came out in the second half with a 12-0 run, so 23 unanswered in that span where we didn't score, and it was like seriously just as bad as it sounds. Like it was, it was horrible to watch the way that we handled this game. And, and it was, it was clearly just this, they, they made an adjustment. They, they changed the way they defended us. And our solution was, Oh, well, they're not letting us do the thing we were doing. So I guess we just have to like shoot bad shots is what it felt like for about nine minutes. But that was enough for them to just like, absolutely come from like down 10 to up 10 really quickly. Yeah. I'm starting to question a little bit when and who and where the Lopes have the green light to shoot, because not only do we have long defensive possessions, it feels to me like we have long offensive possessions as well, unless we're just in a, unless we're just rolling, you know, like you, like you had said in the first 10 minutes of the first half or so we were looking really solid, at least scoring the basketball. And then as soon as, we struggled. It, those possessions were taken forever and, and but the there was a, were not yeah. getting open yeah. looks. Yeah. There was a distinct change to the way Pepperdine played defense. Like there, there's a specific change that they made that actually caused this. And, and what it was is at the beginning of the game, they were playing off the ball, right? Like if we had a guy, if we had a guy standing 18 feet from the basket, he would have two feet in front of him to decide like, what am I going to do? Right. And then he could serious take it downhill. Yeah. And, and the idea was like, they don't want us like beating them with passes to the inside. But then what that allowed is we could just take mid range or we get, we get like two steps to start driving downhill. And then they're trying to defend us downhill. So we're getting like layups, we're getting fouls, we're getting kickout threes, all the stuff we want that was happening in the beginning of the game, which is why like the offense seems so smooth. They stopped doing that. They just started playing. They started playing just like a, a tight straight up man. And what happens is we, for whatever reason, like we have a hard time beating that when teams just play, like when they play like an aggressive man and they like guard passing lanes really well, and they kind of stay out of help side and just stick on you. I feel like we just don't like, we just like run, like we run the, like we run like the ball screen we always get. And then we go around the screen and like they'll hedge, right. They'll hedge. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we can't just like drive around that. So then we like have to dribble backwards, but then we're just in the exact same position. And then we do that four times and then there's four seconds left in the shot clock and we have to take a bad shot. And I just feel like that's what happened for eight minutes in a row yeah. in, in the middle of that game. And it was the most frustrating thing ever. Yeah. I think I'm going to say the same thing that I said last week when it comes to the Lopes offensively, especially when we're talking about them being in a position where the team defending is denying passes so well, like in that stretch where we couldn't score, like you were saying, they were tight on us. They were denying the pass really hard. Um, just yeah. sticking, sticking home on those ones. When it comes to that, that ball screen that we see basically every possession for the Lopes. I just, YO is not that athletic. And I texted you early in the game when we were still rolling offensively. Uh, Igehan was in and Dude. they had a they had a spread pick and roll and there was a nice little lob over the top of the defense to Igehan who you know caught that oop and put it in the basket 
And I texted you and I said, this dude is so athletic. He needs to be having more minutes. I think he ended the game with eight minutes and I, I could be super wrong, but what it felt like was after he was subbed out of the game was when that game started to, you know, shift momentum wise. And I'm not saying that he's the answer to our woes because take it with a grain of salt. Yo did have a, uh, yeah, an oop, him, an oop himself off of a spread ball screen. He also had that really sweet drive straight down the lane towards the end of the game. Finished yeah, it, awesome. nice little touch off the glass. He he had a really good game. And aside from he the did. fact that, that that he he wrecked Blackshear's ankle, <laughs> he oh, played yeah, he played bad. a decent game. But I still I still think personally, and obviously I'm I'm not you know the voice of reason, I guess when it comes to Lopes basketball, but from my perspective in the spread ball screen, he's not getting the ball a lot. And we're relying on our guards to get downhill or find a kick out. And when that, the, those, um, when those defenders are denying the pass so well, those kickouts aren't there. And all of a sudden we're not getting open looks. Yeah. And when he does have the ball, when our big man has the ball, uh, oftentimes it's a dribble handoff. So he'll have it at the top yep. of the key and then he'll hand it off. And I just like, I think the involvement, uh, the involvement of, of YO in those plays is not just like not very much. Like there isn't very much. And I think there is something to be said about if we had a more athletic guy that just like, generally speaking, it opens up a lot more opportunities for like, you know, things like there's just so many options. And with YO, it's like, He's not going to turn around and shoot the mid range. No, he's not going to drive. And then he did that one time, and, and nobody expected it, which is why it was awesome. But he but he also the- started from outside the three point line yeah. on that on that yeah. one and had some momentum going before he was even right. picked up by a defender. Yeah, I don't well, want to take anything part, away from him. Though, no, he did play. A he great played game. a really great game. Yeah, I think thirteen and eight, awesome game. Yeah, and, of, and hey, really shouts to him too. from the free throw line. Yeah, Five for six. yes, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was and, and there were big free throws. There were big free throws. Yeah. No, he had a he had a really good game. I just think like if you're in that position, the defense knows like this guy's not going to drive, this guy's not going to shoot. He's got one thing he can do, and that's he's going to hand the ball off to the guard, which means his guy can just hedge that. Yeah, and and like for and they were reason, hedging like, hard last night. Yeah, yeah, and the logical thing, and this is like what's hard is when the big man hedges, and you're so if you are the center who either has the ball there and just can't dribble handoff or you're setting the screen and your guy hedges onto the guard as the big man, you immediately slip to the basket. Yeah. And I just feel like, and I, I that's something I haven't been paying super close attention to. I don't know why that's not there. He's like just not every fast, time they hedge man. to slip and like, yeah, that, that just seems like something that I, I think like when he was in there, I think that happened one time. It's like they hedged and he just slipped and got nuked. Mm-hmm. And like, and like I, I don't know. Like he, I really like just not that rebounding. fast. Yeah, I guess like, and this is one of the topics I even have in here is like Yo or Igayon. Like, who do we actually like? Who's actually better? I, I don't actually, I, I don't actually know. But it seems like, uh, it seems like Bryce Drew has a lot more faith in Yo, given just like the the playing time discrepancy. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm wondering why that is. And that's not to take anything away from Yo. It's just. I don't think that YO is so much better that he, that like Gahan's like hardly even seeing the court just seems odd. Yeah. I I don't have an answer for you there. One thing I did want to bring up was in that stretch where Pepperdine was 
rolling offensively, making things difficult for us to, defensively. Um, they were running a pick and pop pretty frequently. Um, and the guy that they were getting that with was um, their center. He didn't start the game, but he came off the bench. He had 24 minutes. Jan Zydek, this guy running the pick and pop at the top of the key. This guy shoots 20% from three pointers. Okay. 21% from three. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because they killed us on pick and pop situations, not because he was a shooter, but because we were closing out on this guy like he was a shooter. Okay. So we'd close out on him really hard, really high on, um, in the backcourt. Okay. And he'd throw a ball fake in there, get us out of position and then pass it off to a guy on the wing who would, you know, because we're out of position because of the ball fake and because of the long closeout, he's able to attack another long closeout and get to the hoop really easily. And I think we saw that against LMU as well, where we were having long closeouts and they were attacking them with aggression. And in this particular instance, those were caused because we were closing out on a 20% three point shooter at the three point line. I was, I was at a loss for words. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't handle it. I'm, I'm seeing the guys and now they're not, lo- they're not leaving their feet. Um, Cause that, that'll literally make me scream at the television is when guys leave their feet on defense, but they're, they're like almost getting into a position where they're not on the floor anymore. They're just on their toes because they're kind of biting on a ball fake. And I just, yeah. Oh man, Zach, I, it was getting us out of position and they were, they were capitalizing on it. I'm like, this guy is shooting 20% from three. Why are we closing yeah. out so far on him? He was over six on the game. Exactly. From three. Yeah. Exa- well, that's because we were closing out on him so hard. That's Yeah. But like, <laughs> man, I mean, that's, yeah, that's not, not great. And and then when they, whenever they, like they would kick the ball around, right. Cause there's someone open. Yeah. If, if you just move the ball, uh, Basham was just like killing us inside. He, he was their starting center, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and the only reason that he didn't get more minutes than he did was because he was in foul trouble and ended up fouling out. Yeah. He fouled out. Yeah. And I think he fouled out at the very beginning of overtime, which yeah. was, which was great because in the beginning of that overtime period, like uh Blackshear left at like the very end of regulation and, and it was, and Basham kind of had dominated the last couple possessions of regulation and it felt like, Oh, this guy's going to just kill us. And then he fouled out like pretty early on. So it was, a big yeah. sign of life. How about Gabe McLaughlin just absolutely taking over the overtime? Like Zach, here, here we need to start having a player of the week, and it's him. Uh, yes, he's him. He's that guy. The that guy. the win the whack two player of the week is Gabe McLaughlin. And no question, I know it sounds a little cheesy because he was already named player of the game by um, all the the social media accounts for for GCU basketball. But holy cow! Much so deserved because what was he? Twenty points, thirteen rebounds, and a block. Yep. Yeah, dude. Holy cow! And just like, but like, it was huge. Like his overtime, he had like three straight possessions of like huge rebounds. That like the dude plays basketball. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a dude. Okay, he was awesome. Um, and he was actually out for a portion of of the middle of the game. Was he in foul trouble? Yeah, I had three. Might have okay. been. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he was out a for a portion game. in the in the second half, and I was like, "Ooh, um, yeah. we're kind of missing." He him. played really well. I thought I thought Chance McMillan played really well. Um, 
aside from missing two free throws down the stretch. Yeah, that was really tough. That was really <laughs> tough. But otherwise, I thought he did pretty well. No, he did. He did play really well. It seems so. like we're kind of, and this is something we talked about before, which is like Blackshear's the whack preseason player of the year. Uh, Blackshear is not the shooter on the team. Uh, that it seems like we're more and more moving into Rayshon Harrison taking up that role of like he is our volume shooter. Um. And he's fitting the role really well. And he's, yeah, he's doing really well. Even though, like, he had 17 last night. It wasn't a very efficient 17. It was five for 16 from the field, one for six from three. Um, But he did have seven assists. um, And he did play 38 minutes, which, like, that's just tough, man. He's he's been really good. He's been really stepping into that role. Uh, I I like seeing him take a lot of shots. I also also like um, his passing ability. I think... I think other teams are starting to realize he's the guy that is going to shoot for us mm-hmm. for, for a lot of possessions, which means that he has the ability to take advantage of that when they like overcompensate on defense on him. He can find open guys and he, he's been making some pretty good passes. Um, yeah. I guess like other than this kind of like Y.O.E. Gahan conversation, I really liked what I saw from just about everyone. Um, just about everyone on, on the team. I thought Baker had a good game. Obviously McLaughlin was awesome. Baker had, had, had a, a stretch of turnovers. Like, dude, he did. It was bad. He did. It was really bad. He was tough with the ball. Um, he had a lot of turnovers. Bauman had a lot of turnovers. That was not great. Yeah, ba- um, Baker had four turnovers. Yeah. Yikes. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of tough. I I I liked seeing Kobe Knox get more minutes. I I didn't think he was particularly impactful in that minutes, but I like the idea of him being worked more into the rotation. Cause he's just a guy I think can be really good. That was another thing where he was in early in the game and yeah. yeah, no, you had texted me. You said, uh, we're getting some decent Kobe Knox minutes and he ended yeah. up with, I think eight on the game. Eight. Total. But I think all eight of those were in the first half. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was in for a pretty long stretch early on and it was like, Oh, I guess, I guess we're getting more, uh, Knox minutes, but yeah, <laughs> it was really good. I, I did like, um, and this is always what I wonder, um, with with coaching is like Pepperdine went on a 23-0 run in which everything like everything imaginable was going on for GCU. And like if you're the coach, right? Like if you're Bryce Drew or like just any coach, like how do you deal with that? I think is I think it's hard. And I don't, I guess like I don't know what to make of Bryce Drew's adjustments because even though we won, it still kind of feels like we didn't adjust. Like it felt like they went to a better defense that made it hard for us on offense. And then it just stayed hard for us on offense the whole game. And we kind of just willed our way to victory. When it comes to the grind of the game, I think the Lopes really excel aside from that LMU game that we lost to a team that I think we're better than in the grind. They, they struggled in that game and and weren't able to pull it out. But aside from that in the North Texas game, GCU has been really successful in the grind, you know, in those times where it's a, you know, give a punch, take a punch kind of situation. Um, We've tended to come out on top in those situations. The thing that I'm bothered by is we're still looking at a team that is kind of Jekyll and Hyde in part of the games where, you know, you know, Alcorn state, this game starting out really well. And then for a large portion of the game looking really bad. And, and another thing that I also want to point out during that run, our defensive rebounding was atrocious. 
just atrocious. There were so many points off of second chances for um for Pepperdine. I was tearing my hair out, Zach. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. <clears throat> um, which is funny. Looking at the stats, it doesn't look very one-sided, but there definitely was a portion. Um, I want to say it was 15 to 5 offensive rebounds for them, and it was just painful. Um, it ended up being we actually ended up out rebounding them 50 to 47. They did have five more. They have 20 offensive rebounds, which feels like a lot because it is. Um, <clears throat> that was tough. Yeah. I just like, I, I guess like this is the kind of like perennial question for, for two weeks now, which is like, can we win games off of willpower when we play badly? Because that's what keeps happening. I feel like we keep playing games. It's like, man, like that just like wasn't, great but we won it really badly and we play really hard and we win and i'm just thinking like can we do that like i don't know like does is that gonna work against sam houston is that gonna work against mexico state is that gonna work against utah valley the problem is is and it's it's a basketball thing it's a basketball issue like we talked about previously it's a game of runs I, I just would love to see this Lope team, Lopes team, you know, in that Alcorn State game, in in the end of the LMU game, in the end of the, actually most of the North Texas game, in the end of this most previous game, it looks like they're a team that is going possession by possession. They are every single possession they are trying to win it defensively, and then when they get the ball, they're trying to win it offensively. However, when it looks like you know in those runs where either we are dominating a team. Like we were like we did in the first 10 minutes or 14 minutes of yesterday's game to a run where the other team goes on a 20 some to zero run. Those aren't like winning it possession by possession looking loops. Like they just don't, they don't look like the same team that they are, at least when it comes to drive and heart and, and, and <clears throat> trying to win it possession by yeah. possession. Like they do look in the, the final seven or eight minutes. Yeah. I just like, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the solution is. Cause it just feels like, it just feels like these, it just feels like the way we play is still really frustrating. And it feels like our offense, <clears throat> like, I guess I don't know what to believe. Is our offense going to get better? Like, what can we do to like make, make it easier for us to get shots when teams play a tough defense. Cause, cause that was the thing is Pepperdine plays a certain way and they realize very early on, Hey, if we play like this, we're going to get smoked because they kind of were getting smoked and then they changed and they, the, what every team has done, right? Every team has realized this happened in the Montana state game. It's very early on the Alcorn game. Now, even this game, uh, which is like, Hey, if we just like lock them down and play really tight defense, they're just, they're not going to do anything. And I don't know, like, if that's just like a skill issue. Like, are we just not good enough to like beat them in an ISO? Like, I, I don't know how we, how we fix that. Cause it seems like we're running a spread ball screen and the spread ball screen is not leaving open shots. And I'm wondering if we're falling back on that because we don't have the ability to just like ISO or to like play make. It just seems like, it seems like we, we, we're running the same thing. We're running the spread ball screen because that's the like stock thing you can do if we're not good enough to like, just like, I don't know, improvise. Yeah. 
the, the thing that so I, when I'm watching them, that frustrates me is guards dribbling the ball at the top of the key for extended amounts of time. Um, yeah. What you'd like to see is the ball on one side of the floor and off ball movement happening on the opposite side of the floor. Um, hopefully yeah. like a screen or a backdoor cut or something like that. And that's all dependent on what the defense is giving you. Um, however, I don't know if we've brought it up in the, in the podcast yet, but I want, I want you to take a peek at our effective field goal, field goal percentage. We are 293rd in the nation when it comes to our percentage on field goals that we should be making right. Effective field goals, shots that are mm-hmm. open looks, um, we're shooting 46.9% on effective field goal percentage. Uh, national average is 50. So we are literally bottom of the barrel when it comes to effective field goal percentage. And that aside yeah. from our offense is not, we take care of the ball. I mean, we're top hundred in the nation in turnover percentage. Yeah. We are almost top hundred in offensive rebound percentage. Okay. Um, we we're okay. Free throw percentage wise. We don't give up the ball a lot. Steal percentage on offense is really good. We're 47th in the nation where we struggle. Zach is shooting percentage. Yeah. Effective field goals, 293rd. Okay. Three point percentage, 234th, two point percentage, 284th. That's that's where our downfall is. And, and I, I'm going to be honest, it's because we are not getting good looks. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so, and we looked back at this is, yeah, that's exactly right. We, I refuse to believe, and, and this has been, this has been proved, proven when we've played not good teams. Like when we play the division two teams on our schedule of NAIs or, or even like teams in the three hundreds and Ken Palm. We shoot really well. Like we, we, so like we're capable of shooting average or above average percentages. The difference is that's against teams that like aren't very good. And so they don't play very good defense. Yeah. And so the question is like Benedictine Mesa and Walter Ellis is hitting four threes in a row. Like that's, that is nice. That's really nice. But I guess the thing is when we play not even good defenses, like when we play average defenses, we're making them look like good defenses. Yeah, we are because we can't get shots. We can't get shots, and so we force nonsense. And it's just like, and even though we win games, watching a team force bad shots all game is like just really frustrating. Yeah. We're 90th in the nation when it comes to three points per field goals attempted. The national average is 37 three-point shots. Uh, I guess that's the percentage. 37%. This this is this is in, in Ken Palm style components. So yeah, three point attempts per field goal attempts. The national average is thirty seven percent. We're taking forty one percent of our shots are, are three point attempts. Yeah, that's high. that's quite a bit. And 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 that's even worse when you're two hundred thirty fourth in the nation at three point percentage. <laughs> yeah, that is that is tough. <laughs> that is tough. We are not not great at shooting from two or from three. And our effective that both of those go back to effective field goal percentage, which is just nightmarishly bad. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know the solution here. I mean, it just is tough. Um, 
Yeah, that that's just something that's going to be hard, and I think it's going to be hard all year. And I think what we're going to see is like, man, I don't know. Like maybe I maybe I I like shouldn't do this, but I just I feel like there's a limit on how good we could be this year because of how just kind of mid our offense is. Yeah, no, Zach, you're you're totally right, and I every game goes by, and I think every single time we have a game like this my perspective is the ceiling has lowered for us. Yeah. I kind Which of is incredibly discouraging. It is. It is. And maybe it'll be different in conference play. I don't know, but like what, cause you know, part of it too is like the schedule is irregular, you know, like what maybe having a regular, like just Thursday, Saturday games every week will, will like help with that inconsistency. But yeah, I don't know. I foresee us playing Idaho state. I foresee us like having the, like, you know, we'll probably shoot. 51% from the field and win by 26. We'll be like, Hey, like we're back. No. Right. No. Idaho state um, is bad. Yeah. So, we'll so I don't know. We will, but like, I, I guess, yeah, it just seems like we're in for, for another year of being good, but not great. Um, yeah. And like, and like, you know, it is what it is. Um, I guess I'm interested to see the challenge is going to be, when we play those teams that play really hard defense, what are we going to do? And I think the obvious game to look at now is Sam Houston, which is our second conference game. Um, we only play them once and it's on the road. So I'm interested to see how we do there. Um, just cause like they just play, they just play a game. That's like, so they're just like, they just play hard and they play really physical. And I think we're going to have a miserable time against them. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you, Zach. I'm with yeah. you. I'm, I'm almost afraid that this is going to be a, um, a, a replay of that Stephen F. Austin game last year where we lost by 40 on the road. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we're going to lose by 40. But, I don't think so either. But Sam Houston's six point favorites. And I think it's it's certainly likely that they'll cover that six. But I we'll see. And, you yeah. know, like this is coming off one game. Like we, we went one and oh this week. And so for maybe we should, maybe we should like, I don't know, be more positive. But yeah, it just, it just doesn't feel like it, it feels like we're not, I don't know. We're just not doing, not doing too great. I, and I don't know, like the whack isn't like the whack isn't that strong. Like maybe we're giving the whack too much credit. Like even Pepperdine who's ranked one forty seventh, like they would be like the, they would be like the third or fourth best team in the whack probably. Possibly. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, like realistically, like I'm not suggesting GC's bad. Like we're still going to do pretty well in the whack. We'll probably, I, my prediction is that we'll probably finish third or fourth. Yeah. And we will probably like make it to the semifinal or the final of the conference tournament. But I, I just really don't, I just, I just don't know. I'm going to need to see a lot of improvement in the area of, can we find a way to get, not even make shots, but can we find a way to get open shots when teams play tough defense? And realistically, I think if we can find a way to do that, the, the, the like ceiling will open up because I think in every other way, I really like this team. I really like the defense I really like the intensity sometimes. Um, that's <laughs> one of the things we said in overtime is the energy, like the energy changed in overtime. We're like, we were way more energized and we like kind of brought it to him. And I, I wonder if part of that has to do with just it being a winter break game. There were less havocs in the crowd. Um, that could have been a contributing factor, but, but yeah, it just, it just feels like, it feels like our offense is kind of like, limiting what our overall potential is and if that improves then i think our i think the the ceiling will become a lot higher yeah 
you're totally right. I think a little bit of off ball moving, like as like I was saying, having the ball on one side of the court and getting some um, some action over there, and then some off ball movement on the opposite side of the court could really do the the lopes some good. Um, speaking of offense, I would like to head into a new little segment that we're gonna try and get going here is um, we're going to do plays of the game. And so we're going to have an offensive play of the game and a defensive play in the game. So Zach, I've sent you the clips that I want to look at. Let's do the, um, the first one that I sent you. Harrison. Up high. Put back by the corner. Uh, beautiful play by Harrison. He gets by the defense several times this evening and just keeps them on his back to gain an advantage. So there's about five minutes left in the game. The score is 64 Pepperdine, 55 GCU. Gabe McLaughlin's just come down with a nice defensive rebound down on the block. Okay. He outlets over to Ray Harrison onto the top of the court. Harrison dribbles up. Okay. In transition, Pepperdine is a little bit lackadaisical here. We have spread ball screen set up. This looks very similar to the play we broke down last week with North Texas at the very end of the game, okay? On the opposite side, you have Blackshire in the corner and Gabe McLaughlin going down to replace with him. Ball side, you have Josh Baker in the corner. You have Igehan setting the ball screen and Ray Harrison coming off the ball screen with the ball. McLaughlin is now down in the corner. Blackshire is moving up towards the wing. And on that same side, you have two guys in help defense because <clears throat> Ray has come off of this, the ball screen from Igehan. Igehan has rolled to the, or not Igehan, sorry, Y.O. Y.O. is rolling to the basket. Ray Harrison has the defender on his hip, so he's kind of controlling him with, with um, sealing with contact. Yeah, I like that a lot that he does yep. that. Though. And so the defenders on the block, the help side defenders who are supposed to be guarding McLaughlin and Blackshire, have their backs turned to those two guys. McLaughlin gets a nice backdoor cut behind those two defenders. Ray Harrison jump stops in the middle of the paint, puts the ball up, alley-oops it to Gabe McLaughlin and makes the score 64 to 57 with GCU making a run towards the end of the game. This kind of is the run that, that begins GCU's comeback to ultimately kind of like retake the lead and then force overtime and then ultimately win. But, um, there's two things I see about this play mm-hmm. that that are things that I wish we would do all the time and I don't know why we don't, which is the person with the ball is aggressively trying to force contact with a defender, which yeah. Harrison is which Harrison does a lot and I think Blackshear doesn't. The second thing is uh we are actually moving off the ball really well like i think like this is a this is a really high awareness play both by harrison and by mclaughlin so like you said harrison does the in transition he gets in front of his defender and then he's kind of like got his defender on his back and because he know he's there he's just bodying the guy up behind him with the idea that at any time if he decides to shoot the ball it's impossible for this guy to not foul him um, we were, this is kind of like a new thing. I, I feel like we're seeing this a lot in, in the NBA. We're seeing it more in college where offensive players, I feel like are trying to do this all the time. They want a defender to be behind him, not so they can get by the defender, but so they can actually like 
kind of like them. go into their defender. Yeah. And then whenever they shoot, it's just impossible to not foul him. So Harrison's doing that, right? But what happens there is because this guy's behind him and he's sealed, he can't really get around him. So you have all the help side guys, like having to make sure he doesn't drive. And he could have just as well, like taken a 10 foot floater there. And he was wide open because yeah. he has this seal, right? And like, if he doesn't choose to shoot, he can just like take the jump shot. And like worst case scenario, he gets fouled by the guy who like literally can't do anything about it. Yeah. So like, that's the first instance where his game awareness there is just awesome. But then what you also have is McLaughlin after getting the rebound, he's just fast, right? Like this is not something that we would expect from YO or like our other big men. Cause McLaughlin just gets down the court really fast. He fills to the corner and you see that his guy in help side has to watch Harrison because of this situation we've just described because of that he's able to drive baseline for free Harrison is aware of this and finds him for the alley-oop but it's just like really good awareness from Harrison really good awareness from McLaughlin and then like just really smart positioning by both of them as well and I, I just like I don't think that's like I don't think that's that crazy like why can't we just do that all the time I do want to bring to your attention the difference between this possession and that last possession against North Texas. Okay. So in that last possession against North Texas, it looked like the ball screen was being initiated almost in the middle of the court. Okay. Yeah. It was supposed to be on the far side and it kind of was, but it was still really close to the middle of the court. In this instance, it's clearly set. The screen is clearly set on one side of the court. And the off-ball action on the other side of the court is much better, and here's why, okay? If you notice where they switch positions, where are they switching positions, McLaughlin and Blackshire? Like, free throw unextended or, like, a little lower? Like, they're at the corner when they cross. Blackshire right? is in that corner. McLaughlin, like, runs past him in that corner, and then L cuts just straight at the basket. Yes, and and, and yeah. Blackshire fills up, right? So they're just doing, yeah. they're just doing, they're replacing each other's positions, right? What happened in the North Texas game was instead of the person in, on the wing running down and replacing with the block, the person on the block ran up and replaced with the wing. And so what happened there was that, like we had discussed, clogged up the dribble drive lane and caused spacing issues for the Lopes. In this yeah. instance where the ball or where the where the off ball movement is happening, where Blackshire and McLaughlin are replacing positions, that's happening as far from the ball as possible. And that causes really good space for us and spacing problems for the defense. Also, um, the guy who was guarding Blackshire and the guy who was guarding McLaughlin yep. combined, they took probably 0.2 seconds of looking at, at their guys. Yeah, no. And that's, and, and that's part of it too, is that switch happening. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens there is the defenders actually have switched which guy they're, they're guarding based on their positioning. They just don't know it. So what exactly. you see is McLaughlin's guy sees Blackshear go free throw line extended. Mm. And you, you, you kind of see him. He looks at Blackshear. He kind of like takes a step to him. He gestures towards Blackshear. And it like, it looks like, oh, this is my guy now. He's here. But the guy who was on Blackshear is not aware that McLaughlin is now in that corner, right? And that, like, he's the guy for, and he doesn't at any time see that. And, like, that's just, like, that's communication that's not going to happen when you have Rayshon Harrison in the middle of four people in the lane, like, about to draw a foul or shooting jump shot, right? And so because of that switch, too, it makes it just way harder to communicate that on defense, which allows for, uh, which allows for McLaughlin to just go undetected. And exactly. he gets that alley-oop.
Yeah, it was really like really great, really great heads up play by by pretty much everyone uh, on the team there. I think it came down to great spacing, great awareness and great execution. Yeah. So that's our offensive play of the game. The next one is our defensive play of the game. All right, chance he'll get a stop and then maybe tie or take the lead in this game. Crowd on their feet. Two-point lead for Pepperdine. Mitchell weaves around the corner. Back out, Porter. McLaughlin on him. Bounce pass. Millett back over. Loses it. Mitchell out. Hopes fall. Lasher Jr. sliding those biscuits. Does not bite on the pump fake. Moves his body to the left. And it just looked like... That Mitchell tries to push Blackshear Jr. off, but Mitchell Jr. loses the ball as a result. Through the play, Lopes got the ball with a chance to take more time. So in this situation, the Lopes are down two. There's two minutes, 16 seconds left in the game. Lopes are in need of a stop here. So what we have here is the Waves are trying to get a ball reversal. So the ball is brought up by number one. He passes to the bottom side to number zero and they start to initiate a ball reversal as number one cuts through the paint yeah. 14 catches the ball at the top of the key and is looking to get the ball to the opposite side where there's a screen happening for number one again who just cut through the paint ray harrison sticks with him really well knows what's coming gets through the screen denies the pass and they're in, they're forced to do a dribble handoff gabe mclaughlin stunts on the dribble handoff it's not a hedge he's just stunting yep Looks like number 11 comes up and sets a ball screen. So this is really great action by Pepperdine. A lot of off-ball movement, and and they're making sure they get the ball to the guy that they want to have the ball in his hands. 11 comes up and sets the ball screen after 14 has already set a ball screen. So they just got staggered screens on Rayshon Harrison. Rayshon Harrison fights through, keeps up with his defender, but Y.O. is in great help position. Yeah, because the guy who just set that screen is trying to dive. And Y.O., because because Harrison fought through the screen, Y.O. does not have to step up, right? Which means mm-hmm. that Y.O. gets to sit in the key and block that passing lane, which is clearly the pass the guy's looking for. Once he sees it's not there, he has to kick back out to the three-point line, which McLaughlin is already on top of. So immediately, right, you have the pump fake, McLaughlin close out just like really well executed there to force basically to force them to reset like everything that they had just done. Well, so this is, this is zoom action. Okay. So you're going to have the the dribble handoff and then the ball screen coming up. So McLaughlin is guarding the guy who does the handoff. Y O steps up in help position. McLaughlin leaves his guy and guards the ball screener who is Y O's guy that gives Ray Harrison the opportunity to come back. And, and recover and, and guard his guy. His guy jump stops on the elbow and is about to kick out to McLaughlin's guy, who McLaughlin does a great closeout here. Hands up, stays on his feet. And then we have on the near side, off ball, Blackshire's guy, number zero, is coming up to catch a pass. Blackshire denies the pass really well. Guy tries to back door, gets a nice back door, but Rayshon Harrison steps in for the help. Blackshirt comes and scrams off the guy that he had to close out on. The guy that he scrams to dribbles the ball off of his knee, out of bounds, lopes basketball with two minutes to go. Yeah, this is just heads up help defense. I Incredible. think like, I think that like YO 
actually does like he makes every every decision he made was the right decision and i think there were three different times that had he made a different decision they could have just gotten a layup or a wide open jump shot yeah just really really good awareness um by everybody to to pick up that help side really good uh everyone was just on the same page as far as we're not hedging screens we're fighting through we're covering passing lanes and then obviously like physically speaking uh it's hard to do what Harrison did there and fight off two screens in a row with a guy running that uh that through the paint the get zoom screen action. on the block fight through yeah and then screen again at the dribble handoff right still no hedge still fighting through and then to be there in time to contest a shot if it's taken is really impressive um by by Harrison uh and because he does that everyone else and and it, it looks like i mean and this is like this is what's cool to see is it looks like the guys trust him right yo's not closing out thinking Harrison's not going to get there yo is backing up saying Harrison's going to if he shoots Harrison's blocking the shot and i'm i'm there to get the rebound like he's he's not like closing out because he trusts his guy to get there. And and Harrison, like he's been really good about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really impressed with Harrison's uh, with, with Harrison's help on that last, um, that last dribble drive that ended up in a little kick out. Yeah. That was, that was really good heads up and it forced, um, it forced them to get the ball out of position and out of rhythm. And Blackshirt did a great job of coming off of that, that guy who backdoored him and closing out on, on a guy that wasn't his and forcing a turnover. So that will be the defensive play of the game for the Lopes, man. I mean, like, so I, all... I actually think that the Lopes went and, and scored a, a three pointer on the next possession to take the lead either yeah. that, or they tied it up. So that was a, yeah. that was a big stop for them. It was a really big stop <clears throat> all in all. I mean, like it was a pretty awesome game just as far as like, the way we played the last six minutes of that game was awesome. The energy shifted. Um, missing those free throws was really tough. Um, allowing them to like bring it to overtime. Yeah. I, I thought it was tough. I thought that foul call at the end of regulation was tough. Um, mm, yeah. But um, but like that's just, I mean, yeah, it's just hard. Um, and then to go without Blackshear in overtime and win, I was just really impressed. McLaughlin kind of took over. But like, yeah, I thought the guys did really well. I, I just, you know... I want to see. I want to see more from the offense, and I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we just we've been saying this all season, and our defense is really great. Our intensity is really great. Our energy is really great. Um, but yeah, the offense uh, sometimes is is a little lacking, and I think I think we get flustered by tough defenses too. I think I think we don't like. Um, when, when defenses make it hard on us, which might sound kind of silly. Cause like, that's their whole job. Like, of course they're going to make it hard on you, but yeah. some teams don't right? like, like pepper and I didn't make it hard on us for the first 10 minutes. Cause they have a way that they play that involves like, we're going to kind of sag off. We're going to make you shoot. We're going to guard the paint. Uh, it didn't really work. And then, um, yeah. And I, I actually think like there's teams that GCU is going to match up with really well. Like I think Seattle, U plays like that. I actually think GCU is a really good matchup for Seattle. U. like, I think we're just going to, it's going to be the same thing as Pepperdine where, uh, if they don't make an adjustment, the whole game is going to be like how the first 10 minutes of this was because it just, they, they just seem like a, the thing about Seattle is like, they just seem really finesse. Like, I think they have their, they're good shooters. They're quick, um, surprisingly good rebounders, even though they're not particularly big, mm-hmm. but like, not like they're not particularly strong or physical. Um, and so I think that's going to like be advantageous to us. Whereas like when we play a Stephen F Austin, who's 
the exact opposite type of team, it's going to be really hard because they're just going to play hard physical defense and, and either, either the refs are going to call a hundred. It'll be like the, the Nevada game that they played where the refs call a million fouls and we get to shoot 40 free throws, or we're going to have 20 turnovers, but like, that's just what, it seems like that's what's in the cards for us. And we play a team that's good defensively is like, I just really, I just really see us turning the ball over shooting 42% from the field. Yeah. Um, and, and I hope, I, I hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. Here's the thing, Zach is, you know, we, like you said, we struggle against teams that, that, that really pressure us hard defensively. I just think we don't, pressure the defense very much we're not yeah. forcing guys to yeah. close out like they did in that possession against us that that's just yeah. not happening um i don't see the lopes run a lot of zoom action i don't see them uh run a lot of off ball screens and stuff like that so it's just i think there's there's got to be some adjustments made and and we'll see if that plays out come conference play yeah hey how about bryce drew in the second, the top of the second half, when when they had just gone on, Pepperdine had just gone on that run to take the lead at the half. Immediately, second half, they kind of just continue their run, and they're they're just you know come right back out to their scoring ways, scoring I think like five straight right out of the break. Lopes looked like Bryce they were Drew, sleeping. Yeah, Bryce Drew subs out all five guys, <laughs> takes all five starters out, and Stay I good. just love that. I just love it. And that's, that's, I think I tweeted that. And the, also the, the commentator, the GCU commentator said that exact thing, but it's, it's totally true. It's like, he said, what, that's, what, what did they miss in the locker room that they need to be told now? Right. Right. Because you, you like, you know, they just went on a massive run. You've been leading the whole game and then completely let it dissolve at the half. And you presumably just had 15 or 20 minutes to hear about it and talk about it and figure out how to f- deal with it just to let the exact same thing happen. And I, and Bryce Drew just is, you know, subs all five. And I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that for, from Bryce Drew. I, I was impressed um, that he just had the audacity to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was good. I think that was, I think that was a good, like, kind of wake up call to that starting unit. Um, but well, yeah, and they struggled I, I a little bit after that, even so. They did. Yeah, the bench unit struggled a little bit. Um, but sometimes, like, sometimes you just got to do that, right? Yeah. Like. If, if you know, give me five guys, and this is like what kind of the idea is like, just give me five guys who are going to play hard. <laughs> um, and and it seems like Bryce Rue felt that like, just you know, there was there was changes that probably were discussed of like how do we adapt to this, and and the guys weren't making those changes, and so on to the next one. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, just as usual, I was really impressed with our fight. Uh, I was just really impressed with the energy and overtime. Um, like we just play really hard, and I think. I think that's like, I don't know, like that's what makes a team easy to root for. Like GCU is a, like, I like rooting for them because I see how hard they play, but I also find myself really frustrated by them because of their offensive efficiency. Well, Zach, that's going to be something that I think bodes well in a tournament setting. So yeah, at least we have so that too. encouragement. So, so too. well, the Lopes got out of that game with a win. 83, 73. Good. Let's move on to our next opponent. We got Idaho state coming up. Okay. Yeah, before Idaho we, State. This will be a good one. Before we get into an actual discussion about Idaho State, I do have another clip that I sent Zach that I want him to to watch right now and live react to. Okay, so go ahead and pull that up, Zach. The the Idaho State clip I sent you. Hey, while I'm doing that, I would like you to take a look at how close all of their games are. 
Idaho State's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like they're like actually goaded at losing by three. Like it's actually crazy. <laughs> four point loss, two point loss, one point loss, or I guess it's twelve. I'm bad at math. Twelve, yeah. one point loss, one point loss, two point loss, four point loss. Well, Idaho Ten. State's only Division One win is against former WAC member, <laughs> uh, Mocan City. So the ruse, the ruse, right. baby. Oh, oh, wait. Okay. Wait. Wait, <laughs> he, wait, wait, he just wait. watched I it. I gotta watch it one more time. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Who is this guy? This guy, like, all right. Hold on. What? Hold on. Okay. For a little this context, is, Zach is watching. This is the first half. We're eight minutes. In, there's we're twelve minutes into the game. It's it's a single digit game. So this is a garbage time. This is like a person who plays for them. Like this isn't like we're down forty. We're putting the manager in. This is twelve minutes into the game. <laughs> Why is he standing five feet behind the free throw line? What was it? What is, bro? So, so what happens in this video that oh Zach just watched is, um, <laughs> Idaho State gets a one and one free throw, and oh, it's number thirty-two. I'm, what's his name? Have you seen Col- the TikToks? Col- 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 Colby Lee. Have you seen Col- the TikToks? No. <laughs> or or someone's in the, like the in the stands of a basketball game and they're like stroke that thing, cuzzo, and then they flip <laughs> yes, the camera have, for like an air ball. It's that someone stream someone screamed stroke that thing, cuzzo, and then he shot that free <laughs> So so Colby Lee cat Colby Lee stands five feet or not five feet, but like four feet behind the free throw line, just inside the three point line on a free throw, and it's a one and one. So ball is live on release. He catches the ball four feet from the free throw line and does a one-handed jumper immediately after catching the ball. It is actually absurd. I I saw that thing. I was like, this is unreal. This is something that happens in a JV basketball game in high school. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No, Colby, lot, most varsity Col- players. Colby Lee comes out here and does it in a division one college basketball game. I yeah. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. It was hard to watch. Anyways, actual hey, discussion about hear, Idaho State. Yeah, I do want to bring up my favorite stat about Idaho State that, that I think is just like, it's so funny that this is real. So yeah. in Ken Palm, they have like obviously a number of offensive and defensive ratings. Yep. And one of those ratings, which is my personal favorite, is uh, defensive, defensive free throw, free throw percentage. percentage. Yep. <laughs> I, yeah. I listened which to a podcast. How well a team shoots free throws against you. Yeah. Which is, this is just so funny because obviously... That's something that you have no control over, right? Exactly. They're shooting free throws. They are the second worst in the country <laughs> in defensive. Teams are shooting 80.3% from the line against them, which is the second best free throw percent shooting against a team in the country. And so hopefully that bodes well for us. I don't know. Hopefully we catch whatever magic everyone else is catching and we just like shoot and make a bunch of free throws. I don't know. That's so fun. I actually think that's so funny that you bring that up. I not not even a week ago was listening to a podcast between um Archie Miller and Sean Miller. Excuse me. And they were actually talking to Ken Pomeroy. And Ken Pomeroy brought up that one of Archie Miller's team teams was the number one team in defensive free throw percentage. And they were like, what does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you can't even control that. It's honestly yeah, yeah. the funniest. It's the funniest stat. The best stat. And I'm I'm very yeah. happy that you brought it up because that thing is coming up bright red on the screen right now. It is. No, it's so noticeable because because <laughs> they're like in most categories, they're like pretty close to middle. And yeah. so you just see a yeah. bunch of like tan or like lime green and then just dark red opponent free throw percentage. 
<laughs> so I mean, maybe the really Lopes will maybe the Lopes will keep that trend going and shoot pretty well against Idaho State. That's incredibly so. yeah, funny. I, I, though. I hope to see that. Um, looking at like comparable opponents, I mean, these guys lost to Southern Utah at home by ten. Um, they beat UMKC, who's the only Division One team they've beat this year. They're ranked two ninety. Um, their last game they lost to Washington by thirty five. Washington, of course, is Ken Palm team number ninety, so not much higher than GCU. Um, I expect this to be painful. Like I expect us to run them out, but I don't know. The thing that's different here about like these guys than say like Alcorn State is uh well no their defensive ratings are pretty similar. I don't know. Neither of these teams these these guys don't play great defense. I think they're in like the 260s in defensive efficiency which is they're 276 in, in defensive efficiency which is well below league average. Their offensive efficiency is 334th so so pretty far below league average. Uh I expect I expect GCU to give them a hard time. Um, and, you know, that that might translate to us giving them a hard time on offense might lead to more transition opportunities, which I think is good. But they're not a particularly stout defensive team. Um, yeah, I just I just don't really – I don't know that I have a lot of, like, particular things. I just think GCU is probably a whole lot better. And, and so I don't think it will be very close. Yeah. Right. So I was we able to scout Idaho State a little bit. Watch yeah. that Southern Utah versus Idaho State game. A couple yeah. things I wanted to point out. Defensively, we already discussed how they they're not all that great defensively. They kind of struggle. One thing in particular they struggle they struggle um, with defensively is guarding the guards coming off the ball screen. And I think that can bode well for GCU because obviously we're we're tending to do um, spread ball screens and our guards are pretty decent at attacking the rim when it when it comes to having the opportunity to do so and so do i they think like that, to hedge sorry do they like to hedge no they like to try and things? try and get around it oh so they just fight through and they can't yeah, do they, it they well? try they try to get over them um we mm, love that actually that's really good for us i think yeah i think i think it's going to bode well for us and i think if if um yo is set in solid screens and not just kind of lazy like well, let me walk down there you know set my feet and then go I think we could really exploit them pretty big time on that. So that's that's their defensive um, struggle. Offensively, they they like a little bit of zoom action. They're they're very multiple in what they do. They're they, they have a lot more. Um, they just do a lot more offensively than than we would see in like GCU. Um, I will say this though. Their number eleven, Brock McKenzie. Um, that game between them and Southern Utah was a few games ago, but at the start of that game, he was shooting fifty percent from three point. He's currently shooting forty five percent. He's twenty seven for Whoa. sixty on the year, and then in their game against Kansas, uh, yeah, Kansas City, uh, their only Division One win, by the way. He was seven for seven from three. Oh, I think I. So he's crazy. My expectation is he's going to struggle a little bit against GCU's defense, but uh, if they get into yeah. a position where they're getting us out of out of position, they got they get us in long closeouts. I think he could really capitalize on some kickout threes if they're able to drive the ball with aggression. But I just I don't see him being that much of a factor in this game. I, I think he's going to yeah. get, he's going to get his points. He's going to make some buckets, but 
I, if he goes seven for seven, um, ouch. that's going to be pretty disappointing. It could be an ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So, it could be tough. um, my expectation is, you know, I'm probably saying GCU by 18 points. Ken Palm current currently has us as a 15 point favorite, but, um, I don't see this team yeah. really giving us much problems. Nope. And if they do, I'm going to be a little bit concerned and scratching my head. Yeah. If this is a single digit game, I'm concerned. And I, here's, I guess here's what I want to see. And like, I don't know if this is sustainable. I don't actually care how much we win by. I just want to see us not give up a long run is all I care about. I want us to yeah. just like, like if we go up 12 and then we're up 12 the whole game, we win 12. I'm fine. What I don't want is I don't want us to be up by 35 and then win by 11. Like that's, what's going to drive <laughs> me insane. So, so like, just, just like, just get up by a, by double digits and then coast and stay up by double digits, please would, would be awesome. Right. Right. Little um, steps. Right. Yeah. So they, um, another thing I noticed actually is they're, they, they're kind of slow. They're not very big and they're kind of slow. Yeah. Like they, they, they initiate their offense really slow and transition. They don't look uh, incredibly poised to get back on the defensive end of the court. So like I said, I got lopes by 18. Ken Palm has this as a 15 point favorite. What do you think? I think we'll cover. I think we'll cover 15. I think 18 is yeah. fine. Sweet. I agree. Yeah. Awesome. I think we should, I mean, we should win by a lot. Um, who knows? I'm just really excited to see buddy shoot some free throws. Yeah. <laughs> well, what yeah, do you have be, for us around the whack, Zach? Yeah. Around the whack. So, um, let's, let's go ahead and start, uh, with a team that I think is really interesting. A team that I think we haven't talked about at all. Uh, let's take a look at Stephen F. Austin. So, have you have you had the had the pleasure to watch any Stephen F. Austin this year? I saw their buzzer beater, and that was it. Okay, so they have experienced actually two buzzer beaters this week. One, okay. one in which they beat Louisiana Tech in overtime at the buzzer, which which was an awesome game, and That's another in I which. Saw. So they also lost to Furman at the buzzer by two, uh, yesterday. yesterday. Um, Furman's Furman, a really good team. Furman is really good. They're ranked 92 in Ken Palm. That was a semi away game. Um, they're in the SoCon, which is a conference that I think I said early on is like my favorite conference to watch. So of course, like I'll, I'll always go out of my way to watch the purple paladins. I think they're a fun team to watch. Furman's a team that I personally usually like. And so it was fun to see them play Stephen F. Austin and Stephen F. Austin just looked really good in that game. Like, I don't know. They're Ken Palm 165 right now. And I'm thinking like they have some bad losses. Like they have some really bad losses. They lost to Alcorn. Um, they lost to Northwestern state who's number 281. Um, but uh, they looked good in the last two games. So I don't know if like something has shifted for them or if they figured something out, but they've looked really good. They looked really good against Louisiana tech, Louisiana tech. Like they're not great, but they're ranked 19 they're 159 when sfa was 176 and it was on the road so they won a true road game against a higher ranked team and then they played a team that's ranked 80 points higher than them in a semi away game and only lost by two at the buzzer so and i i was tweeting with some people uh on uh some some folks that have a Stephen f austin podcast and and i was kind of joking like one of our jokes is is like moral victories but i think that's a good moral victory for Stephen f austin and like i don't know that might like frustrate them in the same way that it frustrates us but like yeah. they should not be hanging their heads about that one um they look so they looked really good and they're they're gonna finish off non-conference play with a division two team and then jackson state who's not very good um so it'll be and they'll so they'll probably be eight and five 
they're a team that I, I, I think can surprise some people. I think they can end up uh, showing out pretty well. The thing that really surprised me, let me pull up the box score of this game. In this Louisiana Tech game that they won in overtime, they only played seven players. Those guys must have been gassed. Yeah, I think so. And and what's funny is there are two guys off the bench, I think, were their two highest scorers. Let me pull this up. Um, yeah, they played seven guys. Oh, man, I'm going to say their names wrong. AJ Cayusta, maybe, and uh, Kyle Heyman. And they were both awesome. Heyman had 18. Cayusta had 16. So they had 34 off the bench from their two bench players, which is like almost half their points. <laughs> and yeah, they were the two high scorers. And like, they were just awesome. Like, they just looked really good. Both those guys played for 25 minutes apiece, and they were both super efficient. Cayusta was five for nine, three for four from three. And Heyman was five for six, four for four from three. So they combined <laughs> their bench. These two guys were seven for eight from three. Like, they just looked awesome. So they're like seven man rotation. Just was, It was like, dude, it was crazy. Just watching like, watching seven dudes and like the two bench players just own you. Uh, and it was, so it was a one point overtime win. So it was like, it was like a long game too. They just looked really good. Um, and then obviously in that Furman game, they, they looked good in that one too. Uh, Furman is just awesome though. Like Furman's just really good. So I don't know that I, um, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was a good, that was a good win. I was really impressed by what I saw by them and they start off. Um, they start off conference play with a home game against Abilene Christian, who I think is a, a similar team. So I'll be interested to see how they do there, but they do have a really tough stretch of, they have New Mexico state and GCU in back-to-back games. So in the same week on like a Wednesday and a Saturday, both of those games are at home for them though. So I don't know. We'll see how they do. I'm excited to watch some Stephen F. Austin. They're a team that I have not really watched before this week. I, I saw that they had some bad losses and kind of said, like, oh, this team just isn't very good. But I'm kind of changing my mind on them. Hey, new development. Um, Since oh. we've started the podcast tonight, yeah. GCU's dropped from 102 to 103 in Ken Palm and is now only separated by one with New Mexico State. Yeah. Yeah, and so we're number 103, New Mexico State's 104. Obviously, Houston State is still number 80, um, so they're first in the WAC, followed by Utah Valley, and then uh, fifth is Seattle U, which they're currently at 142, which is around where they belong, I think. Um, yeah. Which, which, like I said, and this is what I, I had this argument with someone on Twitter is they, they lost the Oregon State game and they dropped to 110, and I said something like, if they drop another 30 spots, they'll be where they're supposed to be, and I got kind of flamed for it. But what I said is like, yeah, I think they're around 140. Like, I don't think I don't think that's slanderous to say. Like, that'll put them at probably fourth or fifth in the whack. Yeah. But like, they're not like we're not going to pretend like this team is top 100. This team's not, not top 80 like they've been in the Wimmers. No, this team's in the 140s. And and right now they're 142, and that's I think where they got to be. Uh, New Mexico State is interesting to me. Um, so their their big game was on Wednesday against St. Mary's. They lost that game by 13 on the road. St. Mary's is a very good team. This is, I think, exactly what we said, which is St. Mary's is really good. If New Mexico State loses by double digits, I don't think that, like, I don't think that means anything because I think St. Mary's is awesome. Um, And so they kind of did what I expected, which is they never really, like, uh, I never really thought they were going to win the game, but they were always kind of in it. So... I don't know. They looked okay. St. Mary's looked better, but that's because St. Mary's is better. St. Mary's is just really good. Um, well, it, and New Mexico State had a little run at the end of the game that 
you know, help them break that uh, 13.5 point spread. Yeah, they covered they they, up the backdoor cover was crazy there. Lo- yeah. Lose by 13 instead of instead of letting yeah letting St. Mary's cover. Yeah, and Seattle, you did the exact same tonight against Alcorn. I think they were uh oh they might not have covered. They only won by 14. But yeah, they were, I think they were like 15 point favorites, and uh they were like uh, they went on a massive run to shut the game away because Alcorn was kind of within like six or seven for most of the game. Um gotcha. But yeah, so so that I don't have a lot to say around the whack. I think everything went how I expected it to go, other than uh, maybe Stephen F. Austin has showed me they're a little better than I thought they were. They're currently, if we're looking at Ken Palm rankings, they're currently at seventh. Uh, no, they're currently at eighth, <clears throat> um, right behind Southern Utah, which I think they might even be better than Southern Utah. I don't know how high I am on them. Um, and then Seattle, which I've been preaching for a while that I don't think they're that great. Um, has I think I think dropped to about where they belong, which is 142. They do have the game coming up on Thursday against Utah State. Utah State's one of the well, like four teams left in the country that are undefeated. Are we on a four? <clears throat> yeah, so they're one of four teams left in the country that are undefeated. That's a neutral site game. Um, obviously, I I don't expect them to win that game. Utah State's really good, but if they do, then uh, I will probably have to make some public apologies, but, um, but yeah, that's the nothing. I think, I think what happens is at this time, you know, we're getting ready for conference play. I think we have a pretty good grasp of who these teams are. Um, New Mexico state is, is good. I guess the, the idea is we know who the good teams are. We know who the bad teams are. My question is how good are the good teams and, can the okay teams beat the good teams, right? Like yeah. how does that middle think, area shake up? Yeah. I think I know that Sam Houston's the best team in the WAC because they're the only team that's shown me that they're just consistently going to play really well. And even when they lose like their losses to Oklahoma state and Nevada, who are like two really good teams, like they looked good. Uh, they looked, even though they only won by seven, they looked good in that Texas state game. Uh, it was kind of brought back towards the end. They, they just look good. Um, they're, they're fun to watch, man. I, I said something like, and you kind of made fun of me for it of like, they're, they're beating Texas state pretty badly. And I was like, dude, this team's awesome. And you were like, they're playing a team that's ranked like 300, which is like true, (laughs) but, uh, they're just fun, man. I, I like, I like them a lot. Uh, but then it's like, yeah, GCU, New Mexico state, Utah Valley, maybe Seattle. Is that like good tier? Are those teams like clear cut better than the like Cal Baptist, Stephen F. Austin, Southern Utah crowd. I don't think so. I think those teams can lose, right? Like I could see GCU losing to Stephen F. Austin. I could see Utah Valley losing to Cal Baptist. Those are all things where like, I think those teams are really close. And even like, even Tarleton. Hey, do you realize that Tarleton, so they lost to Air Force today. That was a pretty, that was honestly a pretty good game. That's the first time Tarleton's lost all year to a team outside the top 100. Really? Yeah. What's their what's their overall record? Five and six. Really? But their so losses are to Arizona State by three yeah. on the road, who's awesome. Uh they lost to Drake in that tournament, who is really good. They lost to Wichita State on the road. They lost uh, at Baylor, who's awesome. They lost at Central Florida, who's ranked 58. And then today they lost at Air Force, who's ranked 163. And that's their first loss against a non top 100. They've also beaten Jeez. Belmont and Boston College, who like Belmont's usually a good mid-major and Boston College is in the ACC. And they beat Boston College by 16 in that tournament. Uh, (laughs) So, like, Tarleton even is, like, 10th right now. And I don't – I think Tarleton's not bad. 
Um, they're a team that I can see being like higher. Really, when I look at the WAC, it's just it, to me, it's like Utah Tech and UT Arlington. I think are just like those teams aren't like I'm. Those teams aren't going to be game winners. Um, even dude, even UTRGV. I'm telling you, I'm this team is so underrated. I'm. Hey, I'm I, I just watched their game against um the team Houston. formerly known as Houston, Houston Baptist. Baptist. <laughs> um, I just watched them. They're, they're playing at some convention center, and it looked like a glorified high school arena. <laughs> the camera yeah. was basically at floor level, like the tallest guy on the court, his head was level with the camera. And so it was really weird to watch. Um, yeah, no, they, they were playing Houston Christian, who is not very good. And they only won by 10, I think, but they did put a hundred piece on them. So, yeah. Let me see here. Um, yeah, no, that's tough. Hey, uh, while we have the time, let's take a look at one of my favorite things, which, and by the way, this, I'm just letting you know, is still going to be really frustrating to me as I, as I process how stupid this is. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's take a look at the Wimmers. The Wimmers. I was, yes, yeah. I, I wanted to so, chat about the Wimmers. Are, do you have the Wimmers pulled up? I don't have it pulled up. Okay. I hate them. So here's the thing about the Wimmers. Let me just, can I screen share? Sure. Oh, no. It's disabled. Oh, you're not. You're, um, okay. That's, that's okay. So here's, so the Wimmers say this, the Wimmers say, and this is using this like whack points thing. I had a really long conversation with whack hoops digest that I like a couple weeks ago, which I think went really well uh, in the DMS where we like kind of talked out the Wimmers and like how it works. Um, and cause we, it was last week. Was that the episode where we just spent forever kind of bashing on it? Yeah. Yeah. So here's, I guess, here's the deal. The reason that we like, Generally speaking, I think the reason we don't like the Wimmers, we being like Connor and I, is I don't think we have a very high level of trust for the net rankings. I think we and both. I think, tend I think to we're completely think, rational in that thinking. I think so too. I think we both kind of see Ken Palm rankings as superior. And if I want to know, like, if I want to see an, a measurement of like how good teams are or some sort of ranking, I am definitely looking at Ken Palm before I'm looking at net. However, the net is the NCAA thing. That's what the NCAA uses. So it is important, right? It is important because that's what the NCAA uses. It's important because that's what the WAC uses. It is not the best algorithm for determining the skill of teams. Ken Palm is clearly superior. However, <clears throat> our conference has decided that seeding for the tournament will be based on this net ranking, um, which means what we get is things are kind of skewed by uh, like road games kind of just mean everything, right? Uh, so what we have is Sam Houston is number one, which that I think is deserved. And I think no matter what you look at, we'll tell you that. But Sam Houston was also like the number 17 in the country for a while on the net ranking. So like, <laughs> so like that's whatever. Seattle U is still number two, even still? though- Yep, they're still number two, uh, even though they lost to even though they they lost by fifteen to Oregon State. Even though in Ken Palm rankings they're fifth in the conference, which I think is where they should be behind GCU, New Mexico State, and Utah Valley. They're second in the Wimmers, which means they would be the two seed right now in WAC Vegas. Uh, is that fair? I don't think so. What that would mean is GCU could potentially play them in the semifinals, uh, and I'd be all for that. So that that I guess is fine. <laughs> we'll, but, we'll take it. But yeah, so GCU is three. Um, Utah Valley is four and New Mexico state is five. I don't know why the Wimmers hate New Mexico state. This has yeah. been part of the feedback. Wacoos digest has been getting seems to be, um, 
from the New Mexico State fans thinking like, this is ridiculous. Why is New Mexico State ranked so low? And I guess I can explain why it's the case because that's how the net rankings work and they don't value they don't value New Mexico State's home wins and uh and they have a really like when they play on the road, generally speaking, their only win is Duquesne and they lost to Utah. So it's like this team can't play on the road, therefore they're not very good. Whereas like GCU beat Wyoming and Utah Valley beat BYU and Seattle beat like Portland. And so that's why like they're ranked below all those teams. Do I think that New Mexico State is worse than GCU, Utah Valley, and Seattle? No. Um and, and I think as conference play goes on and once New Mexico State starts like owning Seattle U in conference play and they beat Utah Valley in conference play and they probably beat GCU in conference play, I think that'll change. So don't like, I guess it seems to be, and this is what Black Hoops Digest and I talked about is he's saying, give it a chance because I think what's true about this is by the time conference play is done, what we'll have is a seeding system that pretty much should fully align with what the standings are anyways. And in rare circumstances where they don't, um, we'll just have to see, right? Like what, what'll be frustrating is like if Seattle U and New Mexico state end up with the same record, Seattle U is going to be seated higher. But I guess the thought is like if New Mexico state and Seattle have the same record, then like maybe New Mexico state's not as good as we thought. And maybe Seattle U is not as bad as we thought. So I don't know. It does even now seem like Seattle's a little high. New Mexico state's a little low. Um, Utah Tech is way too high. Yeah, I see. I see where Whack Hoops Digest is coming from. I do, Zach. My yeah. my, my struggle with it is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And I don't think that the whole situation of not playing everybody twice was really making that much of a difference when it came to final conference uh, standings and then seedings in the tournament. Yeah. My other thing is why why is the whack the lab rat? You know what I'm saying cuz we're the only conference that's doing this. We're the first this is the first time it's ever been done for seeding. Why why are we the lab rats? Why why did we volunteer for this? I don't know. What I do know is like if the whack Vegas started today, 10 seed Stephen F Austin would go to the semifinals. Because you know who they'd play as the lower seeded team, by the way, yeah. they would play Utah Tech, who's seeded seventh, and then they would play two seeded Seattle U. Okay. Yeah. So, like, th- and this is the kind of stuff where it's like New Mexico State would have to play Abilene Christian in the first round, which like is the 12 seed. So it's like, oh, that's kind of tough. And then they'd have to play Utah Valley and then Sam Houston and then like GCU or Seattle or someone. So, like, that's. Like that's crazy. Um, yeah. And it is, you know, the top four teams get a buy. So it, it matters, right? Putting Seattle at two instead of five where they are in Kempom, it changes everything for Seattle, GCU, Utah Valley, and New Mexico state. Things are different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, but I think, I think whack hoops digest is right in. It's easy to be reactionary right now before a conference play has started. It's probably not actually going to matter. Um, it's going to probably look like standings. I guess the, the thought being then if it's going to just look like standings anyways, why not just use standings, you know? Um, so I, I guess like, I still don't know that I like it, but I don't think we need to overreact to it. Cause I don't think it's going to matter is kind of where I am with it now. I think if you're going to say 
there's a good chance that it's just going to end up the same way as the standings or at least relatively close. Why are we including non-conference data points into the Wimmers? Shouldn't it just include conference games? Like for instance, last year, GCU dropped a game against Stephen F. Austin that um, they just didn't show up to play in and got absolutely slaughtered. Um, They lost to a Dixie state team that they shouldn't have lost to. Um, those are kind of things that like, Hey, they affect your, your standings because of record, but also those are teams you shouldn't lose to. So in a, essentially in theory with the Wimmers, that would affect you there in the same light. Yeah. You, know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But when we start including things like, Oh, um, GCU lost a game to Nevada. They lost a game to Wichita state. They lost a game to North Texas. Um, this, the North Texas one was a semi home game. So that's a bad loss. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be even worse because what you have is like, it's not taking into account like, ex- like extraneous things. Like New Mexico state lost to Santa Clara down four starters by one. Exactly. And number one fifteen, Right. So it's like, this is going to kill them. Whereas Precisely. like Seattle beat Portland. And Portland like was not very good at that point, but then Portland went on to like, to like beat Villanova, you know? Yep. And like, and so this is another thing I talked to whack hoops digest about, which is the big question I have was does the Wimmers cause you basically the way it works is every game you play, you get points, you get rating points, either positive or negative, depending on whether or not you won or lost. And also depending on uh, to what quality of team did you beat or lose to? those retroactively can change as a team changes. Does that make sense? It does look like it has though. No, but I think it's really good in that like uh, an example is like, okay, GCU beat Wyoming and got 47 points, but Wyoming's not great. If Wyoming actually goes nuts. So in the mountain West and like somehow actually does like beat San Diego state and like beat UNLV and like finds himself an at large position, that win will retroactively become worth more. In the same way that do we know that Portland, for certain, Zach? Because I haven't yeah. seen any of those numbers move around. Uh, I have, I have, I think Wack Hoops Digest has confirmed to me that 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 is how it works. Okay. Um, but then the other thing is like, as Portland goes into the West Coast Conference and like loses to Gonzaga and Santa Clara by fifty, um, like does that Seattle win become less valuable? And I, I don't know, but it does look like we're we're putting a lot of weight on the preseason. And it seems like the tiebreaker, like New Mexico State's hands are now tied in that of those teams in the top five, when looking at like who is the Wimmers going to prefer, it's not them because they have the loss to UTEP, the first real game of the season by three. And because they have the loss to Santa Clara with a bunch of dudes out. And then just by nature of like, they just haven't played away games. Like they played neutral games and tournaments. They lost to Irvine, which like Irvine's good. Uh, they lost to St. Mary's, but like so does everyone else. Uh, and then like the Santa Clara. So like, it is just like, there's a lot of things going wrong and they're going to play Kent state in a semi home. And like, they could very well lose that game and that's it. So like, when you look at them, it's like, yeah, this team sucks on the road, but like, that's not true. Right. That's not just playing true. really good opponents. On they're the playing road, really good from opponents UTEP because with a UTEP lot of is their big rival. Right. And they also beat UTEP by 25 at home. Exactly. But, but there's like, there's also the internal issue of like all of the, things that have been going on with that program that all play the extracurriculars a, right and so when that settles down they're going to continue to be punished for like 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 i said when uh how many conference teams do we play 16 18 i believe when new mexico when new mexico state and seattle both go 12 and 6 
Seattle's going to get the higher seed because on November 12th, New Mexico State lost to Utah. <laughs> like, no, I'm that's and like, what, that's what I'm saying, Zach. It's, yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah. I, and like, I that's like crazy. It. And like that, that's the situation that I dread because realistically, like nothing really like it's not going to be like, oh, yeah, they just like gave UTRGV the three seed. That's crazy. That's not the stuff I'm worried about. But like it is stuff of like New Mexico State scheduled a hard non-conference. And Seattle, you scheduled a really easy non-conference. And it seems like given this algorithm, what you want to do, what you want to do is play bad teams on the road. And and that's kind of the complaint I've seen a lot from New Mexico State fans, which is like Seattle's road games, like they played, they went to UC San Diego, who's ranked 294, and they beat them. They went to North Dakota, who's ranked 315 and barely beat them by two in overtime, you know? So it's like, and then there are other, and then they're like, they went to Portland. So like, that's the deal. Whereas New Mexico State, like they're going to, they're going to Santa Clara. They're going to St. Mary's, right? So now you have Seattle, who's uh, three and two on the road, which isn't even that great with losses. Their two losses are to Pac-12 teams, though, versus New Mexico State, who on the road uh, is one and three because their losses are to UTEP, which objectively is bad. But then Santa Clara and St. Mary's and Santa Clara without players, and then they beat Duquesne. So, so I don't know. I guess like. I, I just, you know, I think New Mexico State is going to beat Seattle in conference play. And then if the Wimmers still tells me that Seattle's, I guess that's going to be my thing. When do they play? Uh, on January 12th, when New Mexico State goes into Seattle, if New Mexico State wins that game, I don't want to see Seattle above New Mexico State on the Wimmers after that ever again. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. And if you do what happens? Then I then I just think it's then I think it is a testament that throw this fit. ranking is bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just throw a fit. And like the Aggie, I guess here's the deal the Aggie stands, I'm sure I'll be throwing a fit. And I will this Deservedly is the one, so. this is the one instance where I see Aggies fans really vehemently complaining about something that I think no, they're totally right. Exactly. If we had the schedule they had and we had if we had the resume New Mexico State had right now and was just getting like completely owned by this random garbage algorithm that just came into being for some reason, I'd be really mad too. Two things. Uh, New Mexico state is not losing more than four conference games. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. The second thing I think what is missing with the Wimmers is at least from my perspective is style points. Now hear me out on this. What I've seen is that the, the the opponents that you win against or you lose against that you get a rating for how good the opponent is, um, or I guess points subtracted or added to your score, your rating based on how the opponent is. It doesn't really show you or or, or get award points for how you beat them. So, like you said, Seattle gets points for beating um, some three hundred team North Dakota on the road. But it was by two points. Did you say it was in overtime? Who the North Dakota game against Seattle? Yeah. yeah. So essentially, what I'm hearing is this: say some whack team plays um, number one in Ken Palm, who is Connecticut, right? Um, say actually two teams play them. Okay. So GCU plays Connecticut, beats Connecticut by two. Wow, amazing! GCU gets like a million points in Wimmers, right? Yeah. Well, say New Mexico State goes and plays Connecticut and beats them by 40. But they get the same score because it's the same opponent and there's no style points. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm seeing. Whereas, right. you know, New Mexico State kicked the crap out of Connecticut and GCU only beat them by two. Now, both of those are great wins, but one of them clearly 
has shown that they're the better team in that situation. And, and in that, some of these, I think that's what the Wimmers lacks. Yeah. Well, and also like just generally speaking, like the way that like if you you they're the breakdown here of how many points and we've actually gained and lost for each game. Some of these are terrible. Like this is really egregious. Do you know for what game? What game? If you had to guess, what game do you think GCU got the most points for winning? Let me pull them up here. It's like this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. The game that GCU got the most. So, like, which game? Given like our resume, like which win do you think we got the most points for? It's it's probably Wyoming because it was a road game. You'd think so, but it's actually Grambling State. That was my second guess because that seemed the most outlandish. Yeah, and it's like why, right? Like why? Because because Grambling beat Colorado. They're number two thirty four in the country at home. What? That's more impressive than beating 128 on the road? Zach, it's a flawed system. Can we can we just yeah, it sucks. <sighs> it's bad. It's but no, here's the thing. We can't just this is not a situation where we can say, like, yeah, this is bad. I guess we just have to live with it. Which I mean, I guess we do, but this is not like something that doesn't actually matter. And that like we we complain is like it's not like we're complaining about like, yeah, the NCAA just like their method of picking like at-large teams is bad and so like it's like that doesn't matter to us because we're not going to be an at-large team this affects us greatly and and i think that there is something to be said that like if they add this thing and everyone says that it sucks and then at the end of the season we can all have data points like this to go back to and say hey this sucks uh then like maybe we won't have it anymore and i don't know but i just think i just think some of this stuff's like really bad um new mexico state for what it's worth also and this is i think to your point of like uh, New Mexico State's getting punished for being good slash they're not taking quality into account. New Mexico State loses at UTEP by... How many did they lose that game by? It was really close. They lose at UTEP by three and lose 48 points. And then they go on and beat UTEP by 25 and gain 31 points. So in the exchange of... No, no, no. So like in the exchange of losing by three on the road and winning by 25 at home, they've gained themselves negative points because they're because they're good. Yeah, because they underachieved. They underachieved the like preseason expectation, which is why the net's bad in the first place. Whereas Seattle overachieved the preseason expectation, and that's why like Seattle's inflated in a positive, and New Mexico State's inflated in a negative, and it's it's really bad. It's a horrible it, algorithm. It's it's terrible. It's terrible. I, I'm sorry to disagree with you, Whack Hoops Digest. You, you'd really have to convince me otherwise. Yeah, he doesn't actually. I guess, like, when in talking to him, I don't know that he actually thinks it's that great. He, I mean, he, like you said, he he's just saying, give it a chance. Give it a chance. Yeah, yeah. which we are. I mean, we have to, right? We're going to watch it. Yeah. We're going to watch it play out. And like I said, I think at the end of the season, we're not going to have anything to say about this because yeah. I think it's going to match up with with conference play. Because like, once we actually start playing each other and Whack teams start beating each other. Like you can't tell me that New Mexico State's UTEP game in November matters more than the games they play in January and February against conference teams. And if if you are, if you do tell me that, then I think there will be no discussion. I think I think even Wax Hoop Digest will all agree like this is bad. But yeah, I hope so, I hope it plays out that yeah. way, Zach. I hope it does. Do I do too? Yeah. Um. Before we go, I would I, I would like to ask permission. To repick my one seeds. Because <laughs> yeah. as you remember last week, I did pick Texas. And then not, <laughs> oh, not six man. hours later, their head coach was arrested. So 
with your permission, <laughs> may I repick my one seed? You may. You may repick your one seed. So I'm gonna go with UConn. Yeah, I'm gonna go know. with um instead of Texas, I'm gonna trade <clears throat> them out with Kansas. I'm gonna go with um let's see, Virginia. And then I think I'm gonna jump on on board. Um I'm gonna take Purdue out of there and I'm gonna put in the boys from Tucson, the Arizona yeah. Wildcats. Yeah, they're just nice. They had a they're massive good. win against Tennessee at home. Um, you know, they're four yesterday. and one against the top 10 this year. That's incredible. Yeah, they're awesome. They're like actually really good. It's going to be interesting to see how they match up with UCLA, who I think is, uh, if I weren't to pick Arizona, I would pick UCLA as a one seed. Yeah, they're but, really but UCLA, or sorry, Arizona looks really good. So. <clears throat> yeah, the Pac 12 is kind of not bad. Honestly, like I know we mean the Pac 12 a lot, but like, Arizona and UCLA are both top tier teams. Like those are both teams that I think genuinely are, could be title contenders. And then you also have a lot of other like pretty good teams like Arizona state. I watched them play San Diego today. They blew San Diego out of the water and like, dude, they look awesome. Like the chemistry looks really good. Zach, I'm rolling my eyes because I've seen this. Okay. I know. I know. I heard this story. I know. I know. They're going to get ranked and they're going to lose six. They're going to lose the last. Here's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to be ranked like 15th in the country. They're going to beat Arizona and Tucson. Mm. And then they're going to finish the year. They are. Trust me. I'm telling you. They're mm. going to finish the season by losing five games in a row. They're going to lose in the first round of the Pac-12. They're going to lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament and they're going to go out having lost eight games in a row. And everyone's going to say, what happened, Bobby Hurley? And this is what happens every year. They either do that or they do the opposite, which is they, they're garbage. And then they go nutso and squeak in as like a play-in team. Zach, if, if, if ASU beats Arizona in Tucson, I will buy you Chick-fil-A, okay? Hey, one second. What? Uh, a win, is it? Oh, no, they're not going to win it because it's at the end of the season. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. Man, all right, you're right. You got me. But I'll I'll still give you I'll still give you the option if they if if ASU sure. wins that game, I will yeah. buy you Chick Fil A. Okay, I'll take it. I don't think they will, but that'd be really sweet. You were so yeah. adamant like a minute ago. So I know, but then I realized it was at the end of the season, which I guess makes sense. Um, man, they just this Pac-12 schedule is kind of hard. California is terrible. Like California is so bad. But outside of California, like the Pac-12 really is pretty good. Yeah they're better than they're better than they've shown in the past. I will say that. And then yeah. the ACC I mean, the rank, is the rank higher than the ACC somehow. Yeah. And, and I mean, the ACC was pretty bad last year. So yeah, yet they still had what three elite eight teams. So if you have to pick one team to win a basketball game, Cal versus Louisville, who do you got? Well, Louisville's won a game and uh <laughs> yeah, you got me there. Good point. I don't know <laughs> and, if I can And they that. are ranked higher, so. <laughs> are they really? What's yeah. Really? Yeah. Cal is oh, the bottom of the much. barrel when it comes by. Uh, when it They're comes not to ranked higher teams. by much. Yeah, it is what it is, man. 258 for Cal and 245 for Louisville. Yeah. Oh, they're on a two-game winning streak. Louisville won another game? <laughs> <laughs> they beat Florida A&M. It was number 357. Yeah. At home by six. <laughs> dude these guys are not good i don't want to no, hear they're, it. they're losing to lipscomb 
And then they're going to get into conference play and they're going to just be, they just be losing. Yep. All right. Well, that's all we have for tonight. GCU is playing Idaho state on December 20th. That's a Tuesday. Um, go out and support the Lopes. There's also free tickets I hear. So yeah, go to that game if you can, but until next time, Lopes up. Lopes up. <laughs>